This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It is time to play catch up. We're taking you behind the headlines in our weekly news recap with local journalists working on stories like these. Days after demolition began at the former Arlington Park racecourse, the Bears dropping their own hammer, saying the Arlington Heights property is no longer our singular focus. The discussion is also renewing talks about the team sticking with Chicago. Paid parental leave was one of the last flashpoints between Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union. Lightfoot wanted the union to negotiate a paid parental leave policy in their contract. The union wanted Lightfoot and CPS to just enact a policy granting paid leave. Johnson committed to doing just that. That's a lot, and it only scratches the surface. So here to help us make sense of the news is Carrie Shepard. Carrie, congratulations on your new job. You are now Chicago reporter with Axios, Yeah, right? thanks, Sasha. I Congrats. appreciate it. With Justin Kaufman, Monica Ang, former colleagues of mine here at WBC. It's a reunion. It's a reunion. I love it. Also here, Ramana Hussein, who's editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. Good to have you back, Ramana. Thank you for having me. And Alex Nipkin is here, reporter with the Illinois Answers Project for the Better Government Association. Hey, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. I want to give a special shout out to the folks who are watching us break down the week's news live right now on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. But let's dive right in. The owners of the Chicago Bears, they're making headlines this week again because uh, they seem to call a timeout on their plans to build a new stadium in Arlington Heights. So give us the play-by-play, Alex. Listen uh, to all those sports puns. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) shout out to Reset producer Andrea Guffman. But give us the play-by-play of what we've seen over the last few days. Okay, over the last few days, this has been a pretty long saga going back uh, more than a year since we first learned that the Bears um, had plans to move their entire operation to Arlington Heights and to build not just a new stadium, but an, an entire sort of village around it full of new housing and, and um, um, shops and the whole deal. Yeah. Basically what has happened, number one, is that um, the Bears have gone to Naperville. They talked to uh, Naperville Mayor Scott Wherley about is there some kind of possibly deal where the Bears could actually move to Naperville mm-hmm. instead of Arlington Heights. Of course, the context behind all this is that for the past couple of months, the Bears have been in Springfield trying to negotiate some kind of um, deal, subsidy, sweetener, whatever you want to call it, um, in order for basically their whole thing has been we're not going to ask for any money for the stadium, but we want to, if we're going to build public infrastructure around the stadium, we want money from government. Yeah. Um, that's going to look like uh, tax breaks, could look like a whole bunch of different other things. Arlington Heights said it's it's open to things like tax increment financing or these other kinds of public-private sort of deals, and they have really been at an impasse. Um, It's not popular with the school districts that need that tax money. Mm -hmm. Um, Local residents are very skeptical. And so this week we saw the Bears, um, maybe it's a a pump fake, to use another analogy. (laughs) Another Um, analogy. Or or, or if it's real, going to Naperville, maybe we'll take our business elsewhere. He talked to Brandon Johnson, too. Johnson has been open about we want to keep the Bears in Chicago. They released a very vague statement. Afterwards, saying we talked about how we love the Bears in Chicago um, and didn't really say anything more. Yeah. But well, we I, really I'm know glad what's you, you brought up Johnson because, yeah, he seems to see that this is maybe an opening for Chicago to get back into this stadium game. Let's listen. I want to make sure that the ownership of the Chicago Bears, the park district, and the residents of the city of Chicago um, have a real seat at the table to discuss a pathway forward. I grew up with the Super Bowl shuffle. 
We want to make sure that we can keep shuffling here in the city of Chicago with the Bears. All right. So a couple of questions for, for the for the table here. First of all, does anyone think that the Bears are seriously considering any location other than Arlington Heights right now? I think they're kind of dangling. I mean, I have to tell you, first of all, I'm not an expert on the Bears. I barely You're watch not? football. But I'm glad Brandon Johnson mentioned the Super Bowl shuffle because I did have the 45 <laughs> when I was a kid. And I did watch the Super Bowl that year. And I watched it in 2007 when Prince was the um, headline act best or the halftime yes. act. Yeah, it was yes. the best one. Yes. But um, I think they're kind of just playing right now. I mean, from what I know, from the little I know, um, it's kind of like they're dangling it. I mean, I think there are a lot of Chicago sports. Sports fans, people who live in Chicago who would like the Bears to stay in Chicago. But then there's also another set of sports fans who feel like the Bears don't want to pay for anything. They want the benefits. And if they want Soldier Field to like, I guess they would um, kind of, it, don't they want to break it down and just build something new because it's too outdated? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the taxpayers, yeah, mm-hmm. and the taxpayers would have to pay for that in Chicago. So I don't know from sports fans or people who I know who like football. There's some people who are like would love to have the Bears come back, and then there's another half where they feel like the Bears just want to shake yeah. everybody down and try to dangle this thing. So I would think that they've already bought the Arlington Racecourse. I think they're just kind of kind of doing this as this is all threat. talk yeah i'll talk. talk i'll talk that's what that's from what i get the sense i get from reading all the stories well, you're, you're not alone i'm curious how you feel carrie that that johnson's negotiating style compares to maybe Lori lightfoot's <laughs> yeah i mean i it's hard to tell i think that johnson probably was handed a checklist and you know talk to bears check um was on there for in the first few weeks because that statement was a real nothing burger uh it doesn't seem you know which is okay it's all it's all amorphous right Right now, um, the Bears have the upper hand and they're going to continue to have the upper hand. It's not that uncommon. A lot of major cities have moved stadiums kind of to the exurbs of their cities and people don't necessarily hate it. But and the name is still the name, like name the big is still city the name. name. Yeah. And but you know the Arlington Heights deal. If we back up a little, and Alex is the expert on this, is that they thought that the taxes were going to be one thing, and then they found out whoa, that has been valued at way higher, and the taxes are going to be another thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which you know homeowners felt that too. Uh, so yeah, I I will see what happens, but it doesn't seem they're too eager to stay in Chicago. To your original question, would they actually abandon their plan to move it to Arlington Heights? Yeah. I think there are two answers that come to mind for me. One is probably not. It's hard to see why they would for exactly the reasons that Romana said. They've already put down $197 million on this property Mm -hmm. that is theirs. They can do whatever they want with it. The other answer is we honestly just don't know because that's what the difficulty is with these um, public-private deals or talks about subsidies or tax abatements. Governments have no way of opening up private organizations' books and seeing if they're telling the truth or they're lying if they say, hey, we need this money, otherwise we're not going to do it. Right. The context behind this is that it has been both extremely common over the past 30 years or so um, to for uh, you know public governments to subsidize new stadiums, and it is also straightforwardly bad fiscal policy. Like, it has been, like, well studied and, 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 and shown, um, and so folks are very skeptical of that. That, like I said, the school districts, even legislators, local folks in Arlington Heights. And really the question is, at this point, um, will they, you know, shop around? Is there a certain point where not even would they would go back to Chicago, but would they go to 
Memphis or Columbus or St. Louis or someplace that would mm. be much more willing to roll out the red carpet potentially with generous subsidies. Mm. And I think that that is what some of these state legislators here in Illinois are worried about, I think, justifiably. So you think the, the Bears strategy maybe could eventually make them the big winners and, and get them more tax incentives? Potentially. I think it depends on how hard they're really willing to drive this potential to, to move to a different city and how much they are willing to, to drive a hard bargain and really consider the possibility of mm-hmm. going to another place that would give them bigger subsidies um, or if they would just not want to deal with all that headache. Yeah. And Ramana, back to Mayor Johnson, he was elected on the, the promise of helping underinvested communities, right? Yep. Is there any way that he can you know, come out a winner if he makes concessions to a big, wealthy corporation like the Bears? I think he would in some... I think a lot of people would look at him and think, okay, so um, he got the Bears back to Chicago. I think for for a lot of people and as sports fans, this is... We have to remember this is a very sports-heavy city. People love their Bears. I mean, there's been skits on SNL about Bears fans. And um, (laughs) so, I mean, this is just something that we're known for. And, you know, a lot of people do feel like... Chicago going, you know, Chicago Bears going to Arlington Heights. Like that's such a far, you know, way to go. So I think I think if he did do something and got the Bears to come and, you know, still invested in these underserved communities, I mean, I think he would still be held accountable for doing that. But yeah. I think if he got the Bears back, I think he definitely would be a winner in a lot of in a lot of people's eyes. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with uh, Alex Nitkin of the Illinois Answers Project for the Better Government Association, Carrie Shepard of Axios, and Ramana Hussein of the Chicago Sun-Times. A reminder, you can now watch our weekly news recap live. We're on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. We're also on Reset's Facebook page. If you're on YouTube, leave us a comment or question in that chat box, and we will Try to get to your uh, comments and questions on the air. Carrie, help me take a step away from football, will you? Uh, I want to focus on (laughs) another game in town, uh, politics. Yeah. So there's talk again at City Council about uh, banning aldermen from holding second jobs. What are the details there? Yeah, and Alex was just telling me before that far fewer have second jobs than they used to, Mm -hmm. you know, most notoriously. Not as many side hustles these days. Not as many side hustles. Most notoriously, you may, you know, know of Alderman Burke, who is accused of using his powerful position in the finance committee. He had a side gig as a real estate tax attorney. Um, it can. I think it can only be good for transparency and ethical reform, which we hear about promised all the time. In mm-hmm. fact, this council said they want the same thing. They want reform um, because it takes away the opportunity and any conflict, any chance of conflict of interest. Hey, look, I'm making money off of, um, you know, this business, so I'm going to push through the permit. You know, there is the other side of it of someone like Tom Tunney, uh, who is no longer in office, but a longtime alderman on the north side in Lakeview. You know, he would say, like, look, he owned Ann Sather Restaurant is a well-known breakfast chain, you know, cinnamon rolls uh, and (laughs) saying like, oh, but I was a good advocate for small business owners and people in my my constituents would say, hey, look, this is you know what it's like to be a small business owner. They're citizen legislators. They're supposed to be advocating for themselves. But I think that uh, I think most people would agree if we want a independent council and we want that this is a good idea to take strip away those conflicts, possible well, conflicts. Does anyone here feel that this proposal is going anywhere? 
I think it's hard to say right now. There was a great uh, article in the Tribune that A.D. Quigg wrote um, really looking at the details of what this would actually take. And it's one of these things that on its face seems like a great idea. But um, even I think the real question here is how do you define job? Quote, yeah. Quote. Yep, yeah. Um, because there are a lot of really tricky issues of outside income that older people have right now. I mean, rental properties. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in, the, oh, in yeah, that case, right. um, you know, Alderman Walter Burnett is uh, is a landlord. He owns eight uh, properties, I think, outside of his own home. And he very transparently was was like, how, how can you like this is, you know, how can you just take this away? You can't just like some some people like inherited money from their parents. I mean, Alderman Bill Conway is very well known to be like the son of a, a billionaire and has all kinds of different um, investments and, and interests there. And so how do you mm. thread that? And that is exactly what chair um, Matt Martin, Alderman Matt Martin, who's the new chair of the city council ethics committee said when he was asked about the prospects for this kind of yeah. ordinance, like, yes, it's an interesting idea. We're going to have to have a lot more of these kinds of difficult conversations about what that private source of income is that needs to be banned and how we would even do that. And, and a reminder, aldermanic salaries, uh, they range from $115,000 to around a little over $142,000, mm-hmm. right? Should yeah. that be enough to be considered a full-time job, Ramona? I think that's enough to be considered a full-time job. I'm a reporter Same. here. And, you know, there was um, – <laughs> <laughs> from, from a journalist? Yes, yeah, yeah from a journalist. That's and, you enough. Know, one of the, you know, to relating to journalists, the alderman, uh, the alderwoman from the 48th Ward, the new alderwoman for the 48th Ward, she was working at the Chicago Reader. And mm, she yeah. gave up that job. And, you know, I'm sure she wasn't making the big bucks at the Chicago Reader and she left. And so I think I think these are good questions. And I think there needs to be like, you know, obviously it needs to be detailed about what income is OK and what isn't. But it I think it would take out a lot of the, you know, it would make the government more transparent. And I know a lot of the um, city council members who are against this proposal are saying that, you know, with their jobs, they've been better informed by having another job Mm -hmm. in in decisions that are being made. And I was thinking, well, maybe just being a full-time city council member, it's it's a lot. And so just juggling all these things. And yeah, I think it's good, you know, if you have property, I think that's different than if you're actually working for a law firm or working for a special interest yeah, group or lo- lobbying. So I think I think it's something that they're going to be discussed. Will it happen or not? I don't know. But yeah. I, I think 115000 to 142000 I would be I'm happy like, with it. could have been a lot I lower. Would, I, would have been a, I would have been happy with 115000 myself. But, you know, some of, some, some of the um, city council... for yourself, yes, <laughs> Some of the city council members I know um, haven't taken raises. So, you know, I'm just saying, like, you, you take the example of the um, alderwoman from the 48th Ward. She she gave up a job. I mean, it's and a small if you're, business. Yeah, a small business. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not like, you know, she's rolling yeah. the dough. So it's like, why can't the city council members who are making a lot of money you take the example of Alderman Burke? It's like there is mm. there is a question I think a lot of people had and questions a lot of people had. Well, I'm going to stick with you for another moment here, Ramana, because uh, another story here, CPS employees, they got a new perk this week that I want to hear about. Update us on this new parental leave policy. So um, the parental leave policy for uh, people who work for the city of Chicago is 12 weeks. And the teachers, people who were part of the teachers union had six weeks. And uh, most teachers did not take take advantage of this policy. What they would do is uh, usually take their sick leave. And that was about three months. And so in January, Lori Lightfoot and the CTU started negotiating whether or not they should have this 12-week policy. 
you know, paid leave yeah. for uh, parental leave, I should say. And this applies to um, any parent of any gender. This includes um, a, a situation if someone's fostering a child or adopting, which right. is great. I think a lot of people would think that, okay, 12 weeks is, makes sense. But I think the question here is that, um, you know, this was something that was being negotiated and Brandon Johnson was a paid organizer, I believe, for the CTU. I just want to make sure I'm correct. using the right, correct term, organizer. And so, um, you know, before the elections, that was one of the concerns a lot of people had. Now, will Brandon Johnson just rubber stamp everything the CTU, you know, proposes or wants? And I think there's going to be a lot of questions about, um, you know, is, and I don't think anybody disagrees that any parent should should get yeah. the 12 mm-hmm. weeks. But it is, it is. But a lot of people noticing. are thinking like, okay, so most people in the city don't get the three months. They get, well, the 12 weeks, they already get the three months. So they're like, okay, is this giving them more? Mm. And I think they, the people will just question, you know, the way it was done, the way it was handled. Yeah. Will, will this be something that Brandon Johnson's going to do time and time again with the CTU? So I think that's what yeah. the question is and what a lot of people are, will, We'll be kind of talking about in the next few weeks. Yeah, probably. well, here's the thing, folks. I mean, we're pretty used to seeing Chicago public schools, the Chicago Teachers Union and the mayor at odds. Right. Yeah. Well, one another. Isn't I don't that, think it's a good a, thing. Is this a new era? That's another way of looking at the really tight alliance that the mayor now has with CTU. It's yes, just like Romano was saying, there is potentially, you know, a question of whose interests he's representing. But also a lot of people will look at this very rare new yeah. Uh, image of CTU President Stacey Davis-Gates and CPS CEO Pedro Martinez up there together announcing something in tandem and say, hey, that's really refreshing. Yes. Actually wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nobody wins when there's so much acrimony between the city and the and the union. And most definitely the people who lose the most are the students and the parents and the teachers. I think to your point of like, is this how Brandon Johnson's going to work with CTU? I mean, I think we should take it by a policy by policy basis. I mean, it's hard to disagree that three months, which is far less than most of the world gets, you know, for parents to be home. And also Pedro Martinez said like a lot of teachers, a lot of women especially Mm -hmm. end up leaving teaching because they can't make it work with their families. A lot of teachers I know, they they, and this isn't always possible, they try to plan to have their children in the summer. Mm-hmm. So at least they have three months and then maybe, ex, you know, sick leave or whatever. Right. So that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really, to Alex's point, great to see our leadership together and not fighting and making it about what they can do. It's kind of refreshing. That's good. I got to admit. For the teachers, right? Yeah. 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 And like you said, Carrie, uh, you know, I think 80% of the CTU. Are women are women? So right. you know, this is a union that's a yeah. lot of women. So it does affect them. So I'm just saying that I think people are just gonna. It's just gonna be something for, for sure. people oh, for to sure. pick for on. Sure. It's definitely a, for, a, a so, conversation yeah. starter. We're gonna pick up the weekly news recap in just a moment with Carrie Shepard of Axios, Ramana Hussein of the Chicago Sun Times, and Alex Nitkin of the Better Government Association. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you are tuned into the Weekly News Recap, where we take you behind the headlines of the week's top local stories. Now, before the break, we took a closer look at what might be in the Chicago Bears playbook as they strategize about a new stadium. But there is still a lot more news to get to. Breaking news, former President Donald Trump has just been indicted on federal charges. This morning, more candidates aiming to beat former President Donald Trump to the Republican nomination. My fellow Americans, it is great to be back in the Hawkeye State. 
Protesters are vowing to fight a judge's order when it comes to a controversial metal recycling plant on the southeast side. We should have the equal rights to clean air, clean water, clean land, just like Lincoln Park. Our panel today to help break down these stories, Ramana Hussein, who's editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times, Alex Nitkin of the Illinois Answers Project for the Better Government Association, and Carrie Shepard, Chicago reporter with Axios. i got to get used to saying that. New title. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we are still live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages for those who prefer to watch. And please go ahead. Don't be shy. Jump into those comments Jump in, dive in, chime in on the stories that you hear, and I will read your comments on the air. Okay, Carrie, let's get back to it. A a judge overruled former Mayor Lightfoot's denial of a permit to metal shredder General Iron. Now, this is after months of protests when she eventually blocked the company from relocating its Lincoln Park facility to the southeast side. So why did the judge end up overruling the city and why now, Carrie? I think the judge is saying that they it didn't follow the rules of what they should be allowed to do as as a business. It's not he's not maybe taking into consideration the larger issue which is at play here, which we hear a lot about, and that is that people on the southeast side traditionally have and their environmental problems. The, the air is different there. We just there was reporting in the Tribune this week. Temperatures are different across our city, you know, based on where you live. This is common in the southeast side. This is where, you know, the steel mills mills were. Mm-hmm. And this is what they're saying. I mean, you know, when General Iron set up in Lincoln Park, it wasn't the Lincoln Park it is today. Believe it or not, Lincoln Park wasn't always mm-hmm. the beautiful, you know, ex- super expensive housing stock that it is now. And But they're saying, like, look, this is a classic. This happens in Chicago all the time. Make sure everything's okay in this neighborhood, which is usually a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But don't worry about the effects it's going to have on a black and brown neighborhood. And Southeast Side is largely Latino. Um, you know, Brandon Johnson says, which is not unexpected, that yeah. he's going to appeal the judge's ruling. So this has been like a tug of war that I know, Romano, your colleague, Brett Chase, mm-hmm. it sometimes is just followed vigilantly and it's just back and forth, back and forth. But it does highlight that, you know, these residents on the southeast side, they have activated and organized and said, like, enough is enough. Yeah. Like, we want to say we deserve. There's so many studies that say some of these neighborhoods asthma rates are higher for kids. So, you know, it's dangerous. It's dangerous and it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be dangerous to breathe the air where you live. Absolutely. Um, I want to head over now to Springfield, Ramana, where AM radio has become a topic of conversation. What's going on? (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know how many people in this room actually listen to AM radio. I, hey. (laughs) (laughs) One. Uh, I I, I remember what it is. Yeah, I was going to say you're probably really young. Yeah. So not that you think that not that many people listen to AM radio, but one of my colleagues, David, David Roeder wrote about um, how Chicago is a really huge market for AM radio. 48% of um, Chicagoans who use radio actually listen to AM radio. Now, what's happening is that new um, car manufacturers who make electric cars, the newer electric cars, um, they have, when you put AM radio in there, a lot of the manufacturers are saying that um, the AM radio frequency kind of messes around with the motor, interferes with the motor. So um, Tesla has already gotten rid of AM radio um, in its electric cars, which I think 
I think all of them are electric cars. Right. And then Ford um, did get rid of AM radio, but then they reversed their decision. BMW, Mazda, Volkswagen, and Volvo, um, they're kind of heading towards that way of, you know, getting rid of AM radio. Now, you know, a lot of people argue, people who work for, you know, the people who um, represent the radio industry will say, well, why get rid of this, these choices, programming, not everybody has like satellite radio. This is like taking away the opportunities. And and in places like Chicago, you know, they have foreign language programming here. So for our Mm -hmm. diverse community, people say like, why are you getting rid of these programming? But as you pointed out before, AM radio has got a big audience. It does. It does. And so um, this week, the House Energy Committee, um, there's a subcommittee in D.C., um, had a hearing um, on whether or not um, AM radio is needed in cars. Now, their their concern mostly centers on safety. So a lot of people will be asking, like, what does this have to do with safety? So um, AM radio, um, FEMA, uh, the the Federal Emergency Management um, operations and in in dc they have some a lot of their frequencies uh, or a lot of their stations are tied to our emergency our national emergency system so when there is an emergency am radio works the best how will we know and and am frequency is um stronger than fm uh frequency and so you know a lot of car manufacturers are saying like this isn't you know nobody listens to am radio anymore and they can hear about you know emergencies on their phone because we all get alerts on our smartphones. Right. But you, what there's if there is an emergency, um, a lot of people are arguing uh, with whether your cell phone can stop working. There's no cell con- you know connection. And since AM radio, like in, especially in rural America, mm-hmm. if you're driving, AM works the strongest. It does. So yeah. so there's a question about safety right now. So you know mm-hmm. um, people on both uh, leaders on both sides of the political aisle. Isle are saying that they need they want to put um, implement an act that you know enforces car manufacturers to, to put, keep it to keep AM and radio. So that's a discussion that's going on right now, and that happened earlier this week. Yeah. So I think for a lot of people, less than programming, it's a concern about safety, and people just want to make sure they can reach out. I think one of the um, the gentlemen who's representing the car manufacturers were saying that you know maybe it's time, and I think this is a good point. Maybe it's time the um the you know the federal government needs to update its system and make sure it goes on to you know mm, can can be heard you know through different frequencies and and that's a good point too because i think during the cold war there was something on am there's two am radio stations i was doing this while i was doing my research on the editorial project um i mean editorial um story that i did this week uh there was like two am radio stations that could be used for emergencies during the Cold War, and it could also interfere with, um, you know, if any enemies were trying to, like, use radio to send signals. And so, like, it's, you know, that's not, that's outdated. So, yeah. you know, maybe yes. the system we have now is a little outdated and we have to update it. And and I think there needs to be, I don't I don't think people should rush to get a AM radio right now, right away, especially if there's a question of safety. I think that's the most important mm. issue, pressing issue. Yeah. So it'll be interesting there's to see There's an argument on happens. both sides. Yeah, for sure. For I sure. mean, weather and traffic at the eights. Yeah, I mean, seriously, <laughs> yeah. I started yeah. in radio more than 15 years ago, and radio's always been threatened. They've always threatened radio's going to die, and radio's not going to die. Right. No, it isn't. It's it isn't. People, that's what, when you pass people on the Kennedy, that's what they're listening to a lot right. of times. Yeah. You tune into that, and, you know, that's what talk radio is, and- to your point, in rural areas, there's often, I'm sure you see when you're on the highway, you see a little blue sign that says tune tune your radio to something, something AM to get, you know, the latest information. Traffic yep. information, for sure. Uh, let's pivot to a story you've been working on, Alex. This one has to do with coach houses. 
Yes, coach houses are, you may have seen them, these little baby houses that are behind the <laughs> yes. main houses on a lot. Some um, of those baby houses are very expensive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, um, sometimes they're called like granny flats because the idea is that sometimes people can age out of their house and move into a little house mm. that, uh, behind it. They have been illegal to build in the city of Chicago since 1957 at a time when city leaders were very worried about overpopulation and overcrowding. Um, now... Suffice it to say, you know, we have the opposite concern. We want to mm-hmm. draw more people to live in the city and to do so affordably. Um, and so, so can this be seen as a way to create more affordable housing? That's certainly the goal. That's the idea behind it. This it, efforts to legalize um, coach houses and also the, the sort of umbrella term here is additional dwelling unit or accessory dwelling unit, yeah. EDUs is how you'll hear them described. And over the past decade or so, there's been a real effort, especially in more expensive cities and coastal cities, to allow the proliferation of more, not just coach houses, but in more cases. Tiny um, houses. Ti- potentially <laughs> tiny houses. Um, I was going to say most of them are uh, basement unit, like uh, existing basement or attic spaces that to this point have not been legal to just turn into units. Um, Mm. And so this is a relatively affordable option. It's not necessarily affordable to create one of these out of nothing. That's, you know, one of the issues. Um, But it's it's a a really an increasingly popular tool to create what sometimes is described as gentle density, Mm -hmm. um, especially as we see so many naturally occurring, you know, two flats and three flats being demolished or, or, or gutted that this has really become a popular way to introduce that natural affordability back into the city's housing fabric. And so in 2020, uh, the city's housing department under Lori Lightfoot's administration came forward with a proposal to um, legalize this all across the city. And who did not like that is a lot of members of the city council, aldermen who said, well, wait a minute, when someone wants to build in my ward, they got to ask for a zoning change and ask my permission Mm -hmm. because I, the alderman, am the voice of the people. And if they don't, you know, um, if they don't get my permission, then they can't do it. And they say it exactly like that. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Because I, the alderman, am the voice of the people. You know what? Not not that far off (laughs) in some cases. So, um, yeah, okay, to be fair, they are elected and they really see their responsibility as as to, you know, represent the voice of their neighbors in the city council. Right. Um, And so – uh, it turns out that ADUs were legalized in Chicago in 2021 um, through a pilot zone program um, that was, if we're honest, was done based on political decisions and not policy decisions, mm-hmm. which aldermen were okay with having ADUs in their own wards. Yeah. And so two years later, we have seen some um, success. The housing department likes the program. Um, the new chair of the zoning committee, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, was he's an ally of, of Mayor Brandon Johnson and, and was an early advocate for this. And he, too, wants to work to expand it. But I, as I wrote this week, he is really sounding a note of caution of like there are still a lot of logistical hurdle hurdles. Mm-hmm. We want to put city funding behind this to help people actually afford to build these. And also there is still a lot of political resistance still in the city council. And so he said, yes, the mayor wants to expand it. I want to expand it. But. Hold your horses. It's probably going to be at least a couple months before. <laughs> Hold your we, horses. Yeah, also, who's down. watching to make sure these are actually affordable? As someone yeah. who's on like a perpetual housing search and like you see coach houses all the time that sell for like a million dollars because yeah. they've been revamped. And to Alex's point, like a lot of neighborhoods are losing their two and three flats because they're becoming single family homes. Mm-hmm. Affordable is such a relative. It's term, such a right? relative term, and I think it's. I thought your story was great, Alex, and fascinating. But it's. It's. I guess it is the idea of like. 
so often we get this sell of like affordable housing, affordable housing, mm-hmm. but like who's actually maintaining, who's it's making sure phrase. that affordable, affordability and Absolutely. affordability for everyone, right? This, sorry to interrupt. This was a huge okay. part of the conversation, um, you know, from the left in the city council when these were being introduced. How are we going to make sure that these are actually affordable? And so one of the provisions that was baked into the existing ordinance is that for any landlord who is going to build um, two or more basement or attic units. And a lot of these, you know, think of like Rogers Park, a big courtyard building with a bunch of like laundry rooms are are adding, you know, potentially five or 10 or 15 new units. Half of those new basement or attic units have to be affordable at, I think it was something like 60% AMI. Mm, So that was the way that that was built in. Again, it's, it's sort of been ticky tack here and there. Yeah. Not really big enough to make much of an impact, but that's All where right. they want to expand it. Well, let's let's keep it moving here. Ramana, community activists were marching on the city's south side asking that more resources be put into investigating missing black women. T- tell us a bit more. Yeah, so there was a march on, on Wednesday, I believe, in Bronzeville for uh, missing and murdered black and brown women. Um, it was called the We Watch for Her um, we walk for her march. Yeah. Um, I think it's a it's this is definitely something that a lot of people think about. Um, we always talk about when there's a missing woman, it's usually a white woman. And I think of back on all the stories that I hear about when it comes to missing and murdered women, they tend to be white. And I think it's only recently that we started looking at cases or cases of missing black and brown women get a little more attention than they used to, but they don't get enough attention as as they as they do if the victims are white. And one of the things I used to cover um, the criminal courthouse for a couple of years, and uh, there was a case involving this man named Andre Crawford, and he basically murdered um, 11 women between 1993 and 1999. These are sex workers, and he killed them, um, you know, enticing them um basically for drugs or, yeah. you know, and then he ended up killing 11 women. And I remember covering this case and I had never heard of him. I had never heard of these women being killed. I shouldn't say him, but I never heard of these women being killed. And I remember thinking the whole time while I was covering this case, I'm like, if it Where was did a this story go and if yeah. it was 11 women suddenly missing in par- on parts of the north side, I think there would have been more of a conversation. You know, there could be a question on like, you know, oh, is it because they're sex workers? They weren't, you know, valued as much. But I think if there were white women who are sex workers, I think it would have been a bigger story. So mm-hmm. this is something I think a lot of people talk about, at least anecdotally. And and I think it's a good question. And one of the also, the, a lot of cases don't get solved. You yeah, know, and we know with the Chicago the, police, that's the piece. That... A, a lot of cases don't get solved. But the question is, how much attention is paid to you know women who women of color who are missing or murdered? So I think it's a I think it's a question, and I think it's great that um, that you know people are bringing attention to this because right. this is a conversation we've been having for years. Yeah, the fact that for this too is long. the sixth year is yeah. a bad thing. The sixth yeah. year for this march, and could there be my colleague Monica Eng mentioned something? She thinks in Detroit they have a department in the police department that focuses on this, mm-hmm. and like that's a question for CPD. You know, to Ramana's point, like. You know, you rarely would see those on the ticker in the newsroom on the TV. Like, you know, there was a story years ago of a young woman. I think she was out in Rosemont. I mean, all but the fact that who's paying attention and how can we pay more attention and change that? All right. I got to squeeze in some national political issues because there are plenty. But, uh, (laughs) you know, the, the Republican presidential race is heating up. We've got news of former President Trump's historic, stunning, whatever word you want to throw on there, indictment. 
coming on the heels of several candidates entering the race, including one local candidate, right? I'm talking about Mike Pence. Any thoughts, brief thoughts on his candidacy and maybe how Trump's indictment could impact the race? I think that we're going to continue to see if um, all of the other candidates' strategy of never attacking Trump and <laughs> never, you know, and rushing to his defense in terms of the indictment, um, maybe that'll be the thing that yeah. uh, helps take him down in, in, in the, the first. I mean, I, I'm kidding because I, I, I just don't see how anything changes that dynamic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And even Pence, like he was sitting, um, you know, when he, when he announced his candidacy earlier this week, um, he was talking about Trump and criticizing him. But then a few minutes later, I think he was on Fox News and he said that he would support whatever president, but whatever Republican presidential candidate, if it's not him, he'll support them. So that theoretically could be Trump. So he's kind of talking on both sides of his mouth. So I don't know if people will take Pence that seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like on one hand, you know, when he was with Trump and, you know, vice president, he didn't say much, but he talked, <laughs> he kind of criticized him a little too late. So I don't know if that so too many people, I don't know if too many people in his party are going to be supporting him. We also got word from the the White House. President Biden's going to be coming to town on June 28th. This is a fundraiser hosted by Pritzker, right, Alex? Yeah, this is all about uh, the money, which has been something that we've seen. You know, unfortunately, this is the thing that we often see attract national political figures to Chicago because we're, you know, not a swing state um, like our our neighbors in Iowa. Um, So he is, yeah, the president is coming to Chicago. What we don't know is whether there is going to be any kind of um, you know, public event, rally, re-election campaign, anything like that. But it is just another testament to the real power of uh, our governor's pockets. You know, I mean, it's, it was a huge factor, we know, in the DNC's selection of Chicago to be the host of the 2024 Democratic National Convention. Yeah. Um, we don't know whether there's going to be a public event. I'm curious about, you know, sometimes the question is, are there going to be protesters outside or thing like that or supporters? I'll be watching to see will there be a tarmac moment where the mayor comes out to greet him. There was some some drama last time about how the previous mayor, Lori Lightfoot, was not in town for that. So oh, we're gonna, that's right. We're going to have some maybe lip readers uh, <laughs> coming out and seeing what kinds of you know right. secret information they exchange on the tarmac. Um, but, yep, just a and fundraiser. let us not forget that. Pritzker, there were rumors and talk of Pritzker actually maybe considering mm-hmm. a run at some point for president. So we'll see what that how that pans out. We'll take a pause here. We've got a quick comment here from a YouTube commenter named Jacoby Cochran. And I'm not sure if you know him. He says, some great panelists. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks for watching, Jacoby. Nice. All right, let's pick up the weekly news recap in just a moment with Carrie Shepard of Axios, Ramana Hussein of the Chicago Sun-Times, and Alex Nipkin of the Better Government Association. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are back with more of our weekly news recap, giving you a closer look at the week's top stories across Chicago and Illinois. Now, before the break, we looked at how Southside community activists have been making headlines, but we still have more news to cover. Our panel, Ramana Hussein, editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times, Alex Nitkin of the Illinois Answers Project for the Better Government Association, and Carrie Shepard, Chicago reporter with Axios. We are still live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages for those who prefer to watch. All right, folks, we had some weird weather this week. I mean, Northwest Indiana is under an air quality alert today, I believe, while while air pollution in Chicago was at unhealthy levels for, for people in sensitive groups as well, and including, I'm talking about older adults and, and kids and people who have asthma. Those wildfires from 
my uh, my hometown, Canada, also impacted the White Sox too, right? Their their Wednesday game against the Yankees um, in smoked New York. Smoked out. Smoked <laughs> out in New York. Did any of you experience any issues here? I mean, I think I felt a little bit of burning in my eyes. I mean, a couple I'm of days. so I everything in my life this season is allergies, so oh. I'm so consumed with like just that that I didn't. But seeing the photos from my colleagues on the East Coast was wow. That it's was is so yeah. bizarre yeah. and scary yeah. and yeah. But no, I I when you at first when you said we had some weird weather, I was like, what? The weather was beautiful this week. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you I know. Other yeah, people, of course, yeah, of course. We gotta <laughs> think of others. Okay. <laughs> now, my my cousin in 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 New York sent me some some video of her walking from. She works at a courthouse in Manhattan. You know, commuting home to Brooklyn and. It was literally orange. I yeah. couldn't believe it was like an Instagram yeah. filter. Yeah, oh, no, I, I, a yeah. friend of mine who used to work for the Sun Times, a former colleague, she had a picture on Instagram, and she said that she has some sort of like breathing thing for her cats and for for them inside wow. the house. And so wow. it looked pretty bad. I mean, I thought um, in Chicago, I live right by the lake in Rogers Park, and I couldn't. I kept looking out the window to see if they. It looked a little different, and it didn't. And I didn't, yeah. you know, every time I've gone out for my walks, when I take a break for work, I, I didn't feel like it, it was a little worse than usual. Yeah. At least, I don't I don't feel like, I mean, I know they said that there probably was, like for people who have asthma and people who are older, they probably could have sensed it, but yeah. I didn't sense anything personally. Also, I was looking you, for the orange moon. Remember yeah, we had yeah, one yeah. of those? Yes. That, yeah. Also, you lost me at the fact that you get to take walks in the middle of the workday. Well, I, I, I kind of do that or else I'm going to go mad. If I, if, I, <laughs> if I could just do a walking studio, that would that would be <laughs> great. Let's take this show on the road. Let's yeah. take this show on the road. <laughs> yeah, I'm on a bus tomorrow. Why yeah. don't I walk today? All right, one weather-related issue most of of us have been noticing over the last few weeks as well, Alex, is this white fluff. Yeah, more uh, unfortunate news for people who have allergies. These yeah. are cottonwood trees that um, have been releasing their seeds. This is a pretty common June phenomenon in the city yeah. of Chicago and in a lot of parts of the country. What's not common is just the sheer quantity <laughs> of yeah. fluff of these seeds that we have been seeing. But I want to tell you, we did talk to an allergist earlier this week on the oh, program, really? and it's not a problem for allergies. Mm. It, it actually is huh. not contributing to allergies at all. So oh, no way. Have That's no interesting. Yeah. Have no fear. Okay. Just, you know, just just clean it up and, and, and carry, Someone carry on. Someone should tell that to uh, The trees my nose. are just reproductive. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. In my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but it is because, as I understand it, what ecologists are telling us, they're calling it a mass seeding event. Um, yes. Because it is uh, the conditions this past spring have been unusually warm and especially unusually dry. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of places around the city. People have been sending pictures of like it, it honestly looks like it snowed. Mm-hmm. There is so much fluff on the ground. Um, there are all of these these fluffy cottonwood seeds. They yeah. are very pretty and fun fact, very flammable. Um, so word to the wise, if anyone is doing any kinds of like backyard bonfires or barbecues or anything like that just be careful um they they can potentially be a uh, part of a fire risk yeah that that is true yeah oh, they're, they're flammable i did not sure. know that yeah um, um i want dangerous fluff dangerous fluff yeah <laughs> but let, let's talk about some positive travel news shall we the city's tourism bureau says uh, local hotels actually set a record last weekend for the highest occupancy rates ever in Chicago, you're smiling, Carrie, because you know that we owe our thanks to Taylor Swift. I mean, perhaps Swifties, <laughs> Swifties everywhere. I, Swifties. I felt like everywhere. I was the only person <laughs> who not wasn't going at to the, the Taylor concert. Swift concert. <laughs> yeah, and just like yeah, so that does not surprise me. But also the James Beard Awards. I think there was another conference. Yeah, an average of forty-four thousand rooms were filled last Friday and Saturday for for that ceremony. So I mean, Oof, did anybody, prices were high? But anybody venture downtown no, last weekend? No, I, I I didn't. I stayed but, away. I went um, out of town. 
Karen. My, <laughs> my younger... <laughs> you just left. <laughs> just practice for NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> My younger sister was downtown last week, and she's like, God, I hope nobody thinks I'm a Swifty. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but, but um, the thing is, it, it was, it's not just, it, I mean, yeah, Swifties, yay. You know, but I think it's just like, um, I, I think there's tourism figures that came out. They said that tourism is, you know, is 60% wow. of uh more tourists than we had in 2021 and 2022. And uh, one tourism group says that that could number could get higher this year. So I think there's just a lot of event. And hey, we're Chicago. We do have, you know, a lot of people sit there and tell us how bad Chicago is and nobody wants to visit. And we definitely have our problems. Yeah. You know, there's definitely concerns that we have here. But hey, we have a lot of cultural attractions here. And I think people do want to come people and check it out. People are coming to town. People are coming to town. Well, we mentioned the James Beard Awards. I want you to quickly, Ramana, tell us about some winners here. Because three Chicago chefs took home what's essentially this Oscars in the, yeah. in the culinary world, right? Uh, who are they? Yeah, so uh, Damar Brown, he's, he got the Emerging Chef Award from Virtue Restaurant. And uh, the two uh, chef owners at the Filipino restaurant called Kasama um, in, I think that's in... Ukrainian Village. Ukrainian Village, nice. yeah. Um, Tim Flores, I believe, and Jeannie Kwan. So that's really cool. And, you know, we're just talking about tourism. I think we're also known as, uh, you know... a big, big restaurant cities. A, yeah. a lot of the uh, food we have here is great. So I think that's, I think that's great. You know, I always pay attention to the James Beard Awards. I mean, not oh, yeah. that it matters, but sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I should try one of these restaurants. And and I know both of these restaurants. I haven't been to either, but I've been wanting I to I mean, go to those both. names come up on the show all the time. Yeah. I was on the red carpet on Monday oh, covering it and um, their outfits were amazing. Number yeah. one. <laughs> But yeah, it is like to Ramana's point, like how many chefs from New York, everywhere, Portland, all these places are like, it's Chicago. This is the foodie capital, you know? Well, speaking of of, of culinary icons, I want you to briefly tell us, Carrie, about one that's heading to the Smithsonian. Yes. (laughs) So um, the Ebony Test Kitchen is uh, going to the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. Amazing. You know, as I'm sure everyone knows, the legacy of Ebony and Jet, as I've reported on Johnson Publishing throughout the years, every person would tell me like, oh, my gosh, every black home had Ebony or Jet on the coffee table. So the the I can confirm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the iconic building on Michigan, the Ebony Jet building, um, Columbia College bought that in like 2010. And there was this fear of like, oh, no. What is going to happen to this? Because it's this super 70s like bright colored kitchen. I mean, you have to go look up the pictures. But also like extremely beige somehow at the same time. It's just like, <laughs> it's very and, cool. and Lee Bay is just a huge advocate for it. But this is where for the magazine, they would test these yeah. recipes and Landmarks Illinois dismantled the kitchen and bought it so it would be saved. And now it's going to be in the Smithsonian, which I, I think that. is oh. incredible think because great. Johnson Publishing, so important, not just Chicago, but to the country yeah. for sure all right uh efforts to turn the former south side home of blues legend muddy waters into a museum it, it, they're one step closer to reality the Mellon foundation gave the project its biggest donation to date which is 1.1 million dollars so i just wanted to nice. throw that in there best Great. of luck to them mm-hmm. with that also muddy waters old home shameless plug it, it's one of many stops that we're going to be making tomorrow that's when reset is actually going on the road for a blues history bus tour throughout bronzeville i cannot wait for that i'm going to be on the that's bus awesome. with dennis rodkin who's our architecture sleuth and sherman dilla thomas tomorrow afternoon some of you are going to be on the bus if you are registered for the sold out tour i'll see you then if not i'll catch you next time It's also going to coincide with Chicago Blues Festival. So it's just all around a fantastic experience that's going to be had. Anybody blues fans at the table? 
I mean, fan of the Blues Fest. And so, what you're doing sounds awesome. Yeah, I thought you were saying amazing. some of yeah. us were going to be on. I was like, no, great. Some of you. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm talking I'm to free. my people, oh, yeah, my know, YouTubers, my Facebookers, the, <laughs> yeah. my, my listeners. Yeah, so so we're going to do that, and that's going to be super fun. But we've had lots of fun with you folks today. We'll, we'll have to wrap it here and give our thanks to Carrie Shepard of Axios, Romana Hussein of the Chicago Sun-Times, and Alex Nitkin of the Better Government Association. Thank you, all. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You, you too. Thank you.